Montebello Church Sermons. Well, it was a really small village. It was so small, in fact, that archaeologists aren't exactly sure where it's located, but they do know that it was just down the road from Jerusalem, away from the hustle and the bustle, away from the noise and the turmoil. I mean, especially this time of year during Passover, Jerusalem was especially chaotic. But this year, with everything that had happened, well, it crossed the line and became heartbreaking, soul-crushing, especially for these two that were on their way to this small, less complicated, much more quiet village. Well, given what they had gone through, given the grief that they were wrestling with, it makes sense that one of the two of them would say, can we just get out of here? I, I just need to go for a walk. I just need to clear my head because all of this, all of this is just, it's just getting to me. The book of Mark briefly mentions these two in passing, but the physician named Luke, when he's writing his summary to his friend Theophilus, he offers a lot more detail. In fact, he gives one of the two people's names, Cleopas. And it is possible that Theophilus even knew who Luke was referring to because these were real people who had really encountered and were real eyewitnesses to everything that they were talking about. Now, while we don't know the details of what the discussion was as they were walking, Luke just simply writes this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, maybe you can relate to these two, just needing to get away from the chaos and the turmoil, needing to just get outside, feeling like you need to just go for a walk and clear your head, to just talk things out, to just talk about everything that has happened. For my wife and I, we've been talking sometimes late into the night, discussing getting our will updated. We've talked about dealing with our finances and what we want done in case one of the two of us might get sick. Discussing the past hurts, good memories, making sure that everything is resolved because right now, well, you just can't take anything for granted. And you really can't help but wrestle with some really uncomfortable questions like, where is God in all of this? Why is all of this happening? So let me ask you, what questions have you been wrestling with? What questions have kept you up at night? So let me see if I can ask this question in a little bit of a different way. It's one of my favorite questions. If you could get the correct answer to just one question, what would the question be? I'm fascinated with that question because I believe it's the kind of question that is God's way of entering into our lives, connecting with us in a deeper way. It's exactly what was so attractive about this discussion that these two are having on their walk to Emmaus. In contrast to God's desire to engage you on a deeper level, life seems to push against that. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that is an imagined correspondence between a senior demon and one in training. And in it, the senior demon warns the younger one against allowing his victims to think deep thoughts or asking important questions of life. But instead, his advice is to keep his targets entertained and distracted, keep them on the surface with empty thoughts. He writes, You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, 
The only thing that matters is the extent to which you can separate the man from the enemy. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one, a gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. But Jesus, on the other hand, steps into this deep conversation that these two are having, and he asks them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped with sadness written across their faces. Whenever God asks a question, it's not that he doesn't know, but it's just that he knows that that question will engage with us. It's not that we have all the answers. In fact, not having the answers is not by accident. It's what drives us to search, to engage. It's this kind of seeking heart that attracts God. Deep questions, honest questions, real questions, they are oftentimes the doorway to encountering God. Even though this question seems simple, the impact is profound. True of most of the questions that God asks. His questions stops them in their tracks. It brings up deep emotions up to the surface. And they answer him, You must be the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what just happened there. Well, I keep reading about these people who've been on a long hike in the middle of nowhere or a reality show called Big Brother where they've been sequestered and completely unaware of what's been going on. And the reason why that's on the news is because it seems impossible that someone would be unaware of what's been going on with this pandemic. Can you imagine being the one to try to break the news and explain all of that to them? Maybe that's part of why they got so emotional and downcast is because they realized that they were going to be the ones who were going to have to try and explain everything to this man that they had just met. What is it you're talking about? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Notice that phrase that they use. How many times have you wrestled with those kind of hopes? We had hoped that the doctor would release him. We thought the check would come by now. I'd hoped to see my friends before the school year was over. We had hoped that the surgery would get all of the tumor. I thought that the job was in the bag. Maybe during this time of upheaval, you've had your hopes dashed and your faith shaken. Things didn't work out, and it just makes no sense. You weren't being selfish, you had good intentions. You worked hard, you were careful, you prayed the prayers, you prayed that the report would be good, the money would work out. What you put all that effort and planning into would finally pay off. You made the phone call, you reached out, but in the end, ultimately, it all blew up in your face. How can you not have your faith shaken in all of that? Well, I remember a shock jock years ago that was known for tearing apart any Christian who would have the guts to call on his radio show. He finally explained why he had all that hatred. You see, his mom was sick, he was just a little kid, and he started to pray. And his mom got worse, and he continued to pray, and she got even worse. And finally, instead of getting better, she passed away. So his ultimate conclusion was that there was either no God, 
or that he wasn't powerful enough, or that he wasn't good enough. And so, as a result, he walked away from it all. And that's why he tore up every religious person he ever talked to. Now, I realize that not everybody gets angry like that. Some people just assume that they've done it all wrong, or that they weren't good enough for God to listen to, or that God doesn't care, or that there must be some sort of code that they don't know about, and so finally, they just give up. Even I know wrestling with that feeling. For almost two years, my wife and some of my family have been injured or sick. Every day, at least one of them have been hurting. We poured money into doctors and specialists with very little results. And I've fasted and prayed. I've enlisted others to pray. We've gone to the elders to have hands laid on her. So I understand the phrase, we had all really hoped. At the end of it, I'm confident that he exists. I mean, the finger, his fingerprints on creation is simply too clear. Now the question is, is he good? Is he great? But don't quit too early. See, these are Saturday questions. But this, this is now Sunday. This is now Easter Sunday. So watch what they say next. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. So one of the most reassuring things about the way that this was recorded, it's clear that they have some shortcomings, some hesitations and some struggles. But that actually strengthens their story, because if you're trying to make up a story where you're trying to get a big following, you'd make yourself look strong and tough and unwavering. You wouldn't make yourself look bad or weak. Sometimes we as Christians think that we have to have it all together, to have all the answers and never waver or wrestle with our faith. But the only thing that that does is it denies some of the questions that really would allow us to go deeper with God. It allows us to end up with a shallow faith. Chuck Swindoll said, the stronger the winds, the deeper the roots. But notice that when we're open and honest about our struggles like these two were, then God engages us with us with equal honesty because he's amazed at these two ability to really still be struggling, still being so thick-headed. And he says this, why are your hearts so sluggish when it comes to believing what the prophets have been saying all along? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. So without suffering on the cross, how's he supposed to demonstrate how much he loves us? If he doesn't take the punishment for our sins, how's he going to show how much he's looking out for us? How will he show that he can transform the wickedness of our hearts if he doesn't face the evil of crucifying the innocent Messiah, the Son of God, the very one that Israel had been waiting for, the one sent from God? If he can't take that evil and transform it into the very reason why we celebrate today, and how can he prove that he's conquered death unless he actually died and then was raised to life on the third day? How will he prove that he really is good and that he really is great unless he leaves behind an empty grave on Easter Sunday morning. How's he going to show that this isn't all just some random accident, unless he can turn to the prophets and point out that this was the plan from the very beginning? 
See, from that moment on, from that Easter forward, the issue of whether or not he's good and whether or not he's great, that was settled. From that moment on, he never needs to prove another thing or justify one of his actions. Every time I start to question my faith or wrestle with what he's doing, I always wind up back at the empty tomb. If I could find the location of the empty tomb, I'd put a big poster that says, the point was proven, because he proved that I can trust him, that he has a master plan, and while I may not understand it, he's not trusting on my wisdom, I'm trusting on his wisdom, and that it doesn't take any orders from me. Instead, he does things the way he knows they need to be done. But there is more. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. But then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So he is still pursuing us. He still wants that relationship with us to break bread with us. He still wants us to look back and see and say, oh, that was Jesus who was reaching out to me. Now I see what he was doing. Looking back, I'm so glad I didn't get that job. I'm so glad that he didn't answer those prayers that I was praying when I was so much younger. Every day he's urging us to take a step closer to him. Us trusting God is essential to us having a relationship with Him. Without faith, there really is no intimacy. Ask anyone who's ever been cheated on over and over again. The more we understand Him, then the more we trust Him, and the more we understand what we can hope for and how to trust Him. And over time, I see that God will use every victory and every tragedy to engage with Him, to discover more of how good He is and how great He is, and what that makes us want to tell others and strengthen their faith, just like these two did. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and they were saying, It's true, the Lord has risen, he's appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened to them on their way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. So that really is all my hope is today. I want to reaffirm what those two said, that it's true that the Lord has risen. So many times when I'm stumped by what he's doing, I remember who he is. I may not know the future and I may not know what he's up to, but I do know who he is. He's already proven who he is. He is the one who has risen. He's the one who's risen indeed. No matter where your relationship is, I can say this with confidence, that he's offering for you to take one step closer to Him, to trust Him more, to be embraced and loved by Him even more. And in these uncertain times, He's really the only rock worth clinging to. When I asked my wife to marry me, I didn't have all the answers, I didn't have everything figured out, but I knew enough, I knew enough to know that I wanted to make a commitment to pursue that relationship for the rest of my life. And so, I pray for you pray for you that you'll grow in your faith and your trust in God, that you'll drop your guard and you'll be honest about what you're wrestling with, your shortcomings, your frustrations, your doubts, your questions, and that you won't leave the conversation early. Instead, that you'll press through until you finally encounter him, that you'll discover that you may not have all the answers, but you found something more important. You have discovered that you can trust him because the issue of whether or not he's good whether or not he's great, 
That was settled with his death and his resurrection. And while you don't have all the answers, you now know enough to be able to make a commitment to pursue that relationship for the rest of your life. Well, we have hoped that this has been a blessing to you on this special and rather unusual Easter service. And our deepest desire is to make sure that you know the reason why we celebrate. It's that it is abundantly clear to you that the foundation of our faith is not a philosophy or principle. It's not a message given by angels or a vision of some spiritual leader, because anyone can say they have a message from God. No, instead, the foundation of our faith is an actual historical event, namely that after being dead and buried for three days, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that empty tomb is proof that he was who he said he was, and that he paid the penalty for our sin, which removed the barrier from us having a relationship with God, reconciled us with him, and now through Christ, those who follow him get access to the riches in Christ. Things like forgiveness, adoption into God's family, God's spirit dwelling in us, freedom from being ruled by sin, and eternity spent in God's presence unashamed and deeply loved. The list could go on and on and on. The bottom line is that we want you to be convinced that you can celebrate today as well. I don't know about you, but when I heard that the NBA was shutting down, I was really shaken up. And my first initial thought was, oh man, we are all going to die. But then my second thought was, oh, well, that's always the end of the story, that we die. And then my third thought was, yeah, but the empty tomb is proof that that is not the end of the story, and that because I follow him, because I belong to him, I'm going where he is, in the presence of God, and that in the midst of this pandemic, that thought has been an anchor in the storm. The service, hopefully, has been a reminder that he is inviting you to take one step closer to him. You may not have all the answers, but hopefully now you know enough to be able to make a commitment to pursue that relationship for the rest of your life. If you have questions, or maybe you just need some reassurance, or you have something that is maybe holding you back and hindering you, email us. We would love to be able to connect with you and help you overcome any roadblock that might be standing in your way. So let me just close with a blessing for you. May each of you listening become reassured that you have things settled between you and God. And may you be free from the lie that you have to earn your way into his presence. Because Christ has done that for us. But instead, that you would grow in confidence that God only loves broken people and only redeems broken people because all there is is broken people. That you would be encouraged that God sent his son to die on a cross, to be raised from the dead, to reconnect you to him. And that while you may not always see it, 
God is actually good, and he is great. There is an empty tomb that proves all of that. And may you celebrate because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks so much. See you next week. Montebello Church Sermons.